my most loving panams at Bhagwan's Lotus Feet. Dear listeners, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series, A Try on Pilgrimage. This is Prem, your friend from Team Radio Sai and as always, it's my pleasure to meet all of you from our studios at Prashanti Nilayam. Even as I greet all of you, I hope all of you are keeping safe and are doing well. We'll continue with this beautiful journey that Swami has given us the opportunity to undertake of going through the verses of the Bhagavad Gita one by one and with as much detail as we can. We are in the middle of the sixth chapter. The sixth chapter is about Atma Samyama Yoga which means how to control oneself, one's body, one's mind and also about Dhyana Yoga or how to do meditation. And in fact, we are in that portion of the chapter where Krishna speaks about meditation. We'll begin with a short summary of what we covered last time and so that it gives us a context of what we have for this week. We covered two verses, verses 14 and 15. Before these two, we're about the physical disciplines which uh, go hand in hand with meditation and we saw how Krishna spoke about how do you sit? Where do you sit? What is the posture that one has to sit in while meditating? And all of those were covered in these two verses, 14 and 15. And a couple of verses that follow, the inner discipline is mentioned because at the end of the day, meditation is about what one does with one's mind. Krishna says that one must be peaceful, prashantatma. One should be fearless and follow the vow of Brahmacharya. Those are the few instructions he gives in the 14th verse. And we discuss the importance of each of these instructions. How when Krishna says fearless, it could be an indication of how meditation should not be like a prayer. It is a sadhana and it has to be done as a discipline. It should be followed with niyama, as Swami would say. Similarly, when Krishna says one should follow the vow of Brahmacharya, we discussed how brahmacharya is also an attitude where one does not burden the mind with other responsibilities and one gives oneself to the thoughts of brahman you know right that is what is the fundamental definition of brahmacharya in the next line of the same verse that is the 14th verse krishna says that one must meditate on him on krishna and with reaching him as the goal Matchitto yukta asit matparaha, he says. The importance of this instruction is there is a relevance in meditating on the Supreme Lord. We can meditate by concentrating on an object or some random form 
or some random sound by doing that one can possibly attain ekagrata or one pointedness in fact swami says that almost every activity that we take up from preparing for an exam from cutting vegetables in the kitchen to probably repairing a car or a piece of equipment all of these call for ekagrata and without our knowledge when we are doing our everyday activity in some form we are moving towards this ekagrata but that has only a limited relevance and that is why he speaks about the importance of meditating on him and meditating as reaching him as the goal the 15th verse is like a summary or an explanation of what happens when one meditates in this manner probably it's a summary of whatever has been said so far also he says one who is able to meditate like this after controlling the mind attains the peace of abiding in krishna and eventually attains nirvana and we concluded last week with a very beautiful episode where swami in one sentence explains what is meditation pretty much a summary of this entire section he says he had said this to a devotee who was trying to meditate and very beautifully swami says close your eyes and contemplate that swami is everywhere open your eyes and see or experience that swami is everywhere and this is what we are supposed to be trying to do in the process of meditation when we speak of karma yoga we have to consider all actions as offerings to god right that's the whole point of trying to do karma yoga which means i must be able to see swami in say my students if i'm a teacher in my customers if i'm a shopkeeper in my children if i'm a parent and that has to be experienced at all times meditation is a process by which in a controlled environment that's why all of those physical attributes of sitting and meditating is given so much of importance in this portion whatever can be controlled if you're able to find a quiet place if you're able to find a place where you will not be disturbed if you're able to find a place which is comfortable by in the sense of the comforts also so that your mind does not get distracted then you will be able to in this controlled environment focus your mind on swami and focus your mind on this idea that swami is everywhere and eventually whatever you do through the day is a process by which you are able to live and experience this idea that you try to simulate as a contemplation when you're trying to meditate and when that happens when one is able to constantly remain in that thought that swami is everywhere and whoever i interact with the swami whatever i do is actually an offering to swami that itself is nirvana so those were the couple of verses that we covered last time we'll go to the 16th verse we'll probably have time to cover two or three verses this time also it's again a continuation of the dhyana yoga what krishna says but what uh, advice krishna is going to give in the next couple of verses is slightly different from the past few verses that we have studied we'll go to the 16th verse we have it rendered beautifully by brother sham one of our alumnus one of our radio sai volunteers we'll listen to it i'll give you a very brief meaning after we listen to the shloka then we will as always discuss in depth नाश्नतस्तु योगोस्ती न चैकाश्न न चातिस्वशील 
जाग्रतो जुन बट ओ अर्जुन योगा इज नॉट फॉर वन हुट्स टू मच नॉर फॉर वन हु डज नॉट ईट एट ऑल नेदर फॉर वन हुबिचुअली स्लीप्स टू लॉन्ग नॉट श्योरली फॉर वन हु कीप्स अवेक That is verse number sixteen of the sixth chapter. Till now, Krishna spoke of how meditation must be done, and in the next few shlokas, Krishna speaks of what we must not do, right? And if you look at these instructions, unlike the instructions that we came across in the previous verses, these are instructions for a lifestyle. It's about how you lead your life. It is not merely about those few minutes that you spend when you are sitting down and meditating and we will also see that in swami's gita vahini when swami speaks about this particular portion swami also adds a few more instructions which have to be inculcated as a lifestyle so the first point that krishna is making here is atyashnatah for one who eats too much to verily yogah na asti there is no yoga there is no meditation for one who is an atyashnatah one who eats too much and then he goes on to say nacha ekantam anashnatah and certainly not for who doesn't eat at all so that is the first instruction don't eat too much at the same time don't starve yourself too atyashnatah and anashnatah Ashna means to eat, so atyashnatah means one who eats a lot. Anashnatah means one who doesn't eat at all, or we can say one who doesn't eat sufficiently. But the instruction here is both of these people who are in either extreme cannot take up meditation. So in the commentary to this particular verse, Adi Shankara uses a shloka to explain how much one must eat, right? so you can tell a person don't eat too much don't eat too less but how do you define what is a good quantity to eat and uh, this shloka that adi shankara uses to explain that is an instruction that we've heard from swami also in his discourses he says two quarters of the stomach are to be filled with food which means one half of the stomach is to be filled with food the third quarter is to be filled with water but the fourth quarter is to be left for the movement of air right so this is the instruction i'm sure most of you would have heard it from swami's discourses too again the whole idea of this instruction is to correct a misconception that we all tend to have that treating the body badly is a sign of spirituality and this is something that swami always disapproved of and the idea of starving ourselves in the name of spirituality or devotion was never given the approval by swami in fact there is a beautiful episode that i often like to narrate in this regard i must have mentioned this as part of my other programs there was this youngster who was very very keen on becoming a student of swami he came from way up somewhere in the northeast so he had come all the way and uh, he had applied in swami's college at that time it was the brindavan college he wanted to get admission into the puc course sometimes when you're not able to do it yourself suppose you have come late the seats are already filled or you don't clear the exam 
some of the students would try to plead with Swami and Swami would sometimes personally interfere and tell the principal that you know you can take such and such a student he's coming from a different background like this or he needs this seat very badly so when this student tried for this PUC course and he could not get it on his own he thought that he will come and he'll somehow plead with Swami so that he can be blessed with the opportunity to study in Swami's college so this boy decided to come to Prashantinilam Swami was in Prashantinilam then I'm not too sure I think the setup for the rest of the episode was Prashantinilam so he decided to wait till Swami would come down and take compassion on him and give him a seat. And this waiting period lasted for a few months and somehow Swami did not speak to him, Swami did not give him attention. So slowly he started skipping his meals and it so happened that he says that for months together or for days together he would not eat anything and if at all he happened to eat something it would be only buttermilk rice. And one can imagine a boy of that age if deprived of the nutrients that is required for the body, we all know what would happen to the body. The body started shrinking, the muscles started getting wasted and uh, eventually, I think, after a few months, when finally Swami called him, he was actually a bag of bones and he had become so famished that the day when Swami comes and calls him for an interview, he gets up and he collapses. That's how weak he had become in this process of what he thought was a great sadhana that he was doing. So Swami calls him for this interview and some devotees help him to walk up to the interview room and he goes inside the interview room and when he enters, the first thing that Swami tells him is don't ever think that I called you for this interview because you have starved your body. Swami said, I have called you only out of my karuna, only out of my compassion. I do not approve of this treatment to the body. Then of course Swami spoke to him for a while and Swami asked him what was the thing and eventually Swami said, you know, you have to learn this lesson. This is not how Swami wants people to take to the spiritual path. So if I give you a seat now, you will not learn the lesson. So Swami tells him, I will not give you a seat in my college. You go back home and come back next year. Let this be the punishment for what you have done. Right? So very clearly, ill-treating the body is not the right option for a sadhaka. And you ill-treat your body even by overindulging. Even when you eat too much, you are ill-treating the body. And I think we must also acknowledge that each of us have a body that is quite different. The needs of our body are quite different. There is no standard quantity in that sense. That's why Krishna doesn't really define it. He doesn't say that you have to eat this much. He only says don't eat too much, don't eat too less. So how much to eat? Don't eat so much that you become tamasic or you become lethargic. Don't eat too little that your body has no strength to carry out its activities. And probably the best way to ensure this is when we have the right attitude towards food. Right? Food is important, but food is important because it sustains this body. And this body is important because it is an instrument for us to perform the more important tasks. Many times Swami would tell us, very very jocularly, when we come back from Gramaseva or it is a time when we have spent a lot of time in the mandir, Swami has come a little late. Swami would come to the student's block and said, 
పోండి పోండి వెళ్ళి ట్యాంక్లో పెట్రోల్ వేసుకోండి స్వామి వచ్చే గో అండ్ ఫిల్ యువర్ ట్యాంక్ విత్ పెట్రోల్ దట్స్ అ స్టాండర్డ్ ఇన్స్ట్రక్షన్ దట్ వీ వుడ్ గెట్ ఫ్రమ్ స్వామి విచ్ మీన్స్ గో అండ్ హ్యావ్ యువర్ ఫుడ్ ఐ థింక్ దట్ ఈస్ అ వెరీ బ్యూటిఫుల్ ఇన్స్ట్రక్షన్ విచ్ షోస్ దట్ వాట్ ఈస్ ద కైండ్ ఆఫ్ అన్ ఆటిట్యూడ్ వీ మస్ట్ హ్యావ్ టువర్డ్స్ దిస్ బాడీ విత్ రిగార్డ్స్ టు ఫుడ్ ఫుడ్ ఈస్ ఫ్యూల్ ఫర్ దిస్ బాడీ and just as how i fuel my car i would definitely want to pick up fuel that does not spoil my car but there's nothing exotic when it comes to fuel right i will be careful in what kind of fuel that i put but at the same time there is no fancy thing because fuel at the end of the day is something that fuels the car and that's all it is important for in the same way food also should be looked at in that manner of course the nature of quality of food right here we are speaking about the quantity of food quality of food i think even in the bhagavad gita it comes later we'll come to that eventually so the first moderation that krishna refers to is the moderation in the quantity of food and this as i said is a lifestyle advice this is not about eating and not eating just before you go to meditate this is about how you generally lead your life and very clearly he says if you eat too much or if you eat too little meditation is not going to work for you the next thing that krishna speaks about is sleep he says nacha ati swapna shilasya and yoga is not possible for a ati swapna shila one who sleeps a lot jagrato na evacha arjuna Varjuna, not even for one who keeps awake too much. Again, the emphasis here is on balance. All instructions that Krishna has given so far is about maintaining balance in one's life. Even when he was talking about how you place your seat, what kind of a place that you choose in, it was all about balance, right? And I think that is the most important word that defines all of these shlokas. Swami would often give us this instruction with regards to waking up or uh, sleep. Now, some of us had this habit of waking up at 3 or 3.30, either that somebody is very devoted and wants to try out meditation at that unearthly hour, or some of us would, uh, you know, eventually it must be an exam time, we wake up very early and study, we have a lot of portion to cover. So we tend to do this, we wake up very early and uh, also it's because we have this idea Swami has only told us that uh, Brahma Murtam starts at 3 o'clock. So a lot of people try to wake up at 3 o'clock and start doing their sadhana. And many times when his interaction with students, Swami has told that even though the Brahma Murtam starts at 3 o'clock, you don't have to wake up so early. And Swami would say because the body also needs the rest. There's no point in waking up because it's Brahma Murtam and being half asleep and half awake. so you don't have to wake up so early so give the body the rest that it requires again the idea is not to comfort the body right the idea is to keep the body in balance so that what needs to be done with the body can be done right even when we speak about meditation it is not sukha in that sense so i'm use the word sukha dhyana it does not sukha in the sense of comfort but sukha in the sense of no hindrance to meditation being performed once someone was uh, telling about these various sporting events that happen around the world most of the sports as we know there are different tournaments and those tournaments happen in different countries and those countries happen to be in 
different continents and when we say different continents we mean different time zones for example uh, one of the most uh, well paid sporting event which is the formula 1 racing we refer to those uh, tournaments as the grand prix right most of you who are interested in that game would know it. it's a very very high paying job at the same time it's a very high stress sport also so they say that you no know, in a typical grand prix event in a typical race the whole thing is about at what time and what uh, when when the car is turning there are different you know the circuit has different kind of shapes and uh, we all know that so there are different stages in that race at the right time you have to shift your gear the right time you have to brake and there is a certain amount you have to brake and all of this requires extreme alertness of the mind you should exactly know if you're approaching a curve they run through these patterns many many times so when they're reaching that particular curve they know you know which gear they have to be in what should be the speed they have to be in and if that speed is not there how much they should brake so it calls for extreme alertness of the mind and when you say that these races happen in different countries you know there's a grand prix in abu dhabi there's a grand prix in singapore there's a grand prix in the uk there's a grand prix in the australia when you have to have your mind in that peak alertness your body should be in tune with that particular time zone so that's why many of these races what they would do is they would go weeks or sometimes even months in advance and stay in that place so that by the time the race comes the mind would have got acclimatized to that time zone and then you can expect the mind to be in that kind of alertness now if you look at it this is after all a sporting event and this is true for many other sporting events like tennis for instance the grand slams happen in different continents one is in australia one is in uk one is in france imagine this is for sports right sports has a more dependence on the physical acumen the physical abilities and a definitely a certain amount of dependence on the alertness of the mind and the talent in the mind also so much importance is given for sleep and food when it comes to a sporting event because the mind's alertness is so important now imagine we are talking about meditation and meditation is all about the mind then one can imagine how much more importance meditation requires in terms of food and sleep when you're talking about the alertness of the mind and that is why what krishna says here is not it's not a simple instruction when he talks about moderation of food and moderation of sleep these are all very very important things the mind is housed in the body and as long as the body is not maintained in that optimum balance the mind will be disturbed right that's why they say when you have a ailment in the body it is called disease which means disease and when the body is in disease the mind also cannot be at ease right eventually if we are able to reach a state where the mind is completely beyond the body i think that's where we all are uh, endeavoring to reach and that's a different apparatus itself that we're talking about the human body and the mind change completely it's a different set of instructions for that but here when we're talking about in a meditation we are talking about it from what we are at present so for that as a lifestyle one needs to maintain moderation in food and sleep as i said swami gives a few more instructions which we'll come to probably we'll do that after we go through the next shloka 
and in the next shloka krishna reiterates what has been said here he is going to just rephrase it and say it again we we'll listen to that and uh, then we'll proceed Yoga becomes a destroyer of sorrow of one whose eating and movements are regulated whose effort in works is moderate and whose sleep and wakefulness are temperate and that's the 17th verse this one shloka can be taken as the definition of how a sadhaka must lead one's life forget about uh, the sadhana with regards to the mind what the mind has to focus on and things like that in fact there is a reference to that i'll come to that shortly but as a physical lifestyle how should one live i think the shloka defines what is expected of a sadhaka when we talk of his or her lifestyle today also happens to be buddha purnima and i think it's a very beautiful coincidence that we are talking about this particular shloka and this particular concept because this is what was central to gautama buddha's message we all know the story of how buddha leaves his palace the whole idea is that he is searching for a solution for pain and suffering and death because for the first time he confronts these realities of life and you know there's a craving in his heart how does one deal with this how to put an end to suffering right that is how his journey in spirituality begins and in the process he joins some monks and these monks are very austere ascetics they given to practicing very very extreme austerities and when we say extreme austerities they would not give their body any kind of comfort they would sleep on the hard floor and especially when it comes to eating they would not eat anything that is cooked in fact they would uh, not even eat vegetables and leaves or uh, roots which are fresh they would eat dried leaves and extreme cases they would eat bird droppings right the idea is not to give any kind of pleasure to the body so gautama the prince who is in search of the truth finally joins this band of ascetics and he's a very very sincere person right he's a very sincere sadhaka that he literally masters this art of living such an austere life so very quickly he kind of becomes a guru to a group of such ascetics and they all look up to him and for them he is the master who's perfected this art of not giving any kind of comfort to the body and in all his journeys he finally reaches the bank of a river the story goes that on the other side of the river is uh, bodhgaya what eventually comes to be referred to as bodhgaya the town where that famous bodhi tree is there under which he eventually gets his enlightenment but he is on the other side of the river and he is waiting to go across but by that point in time he is so famished that he is literally a bag of bones that when he is trying to cross this river he is not able to and he almost drowns in this effort to cross the river he somehow manages to come back to the bank from where he was trying to cross and he is lying there almost half uh, dead and it is said that at that time one of the 
village milkmaid comes that way her name is sujatha and she comes she looks at this ascetic one look at him she realizes that uh, he is very very famished and he needs food so she gives him a little bit of boiled rice milk rice mixed with milk and here is gautama the prince he is not been trained to live a life like this but he has of course began to live because of his sadhana and after many many months somebody is giving him food that is meant to be eaten by a human body this milk and boiled rice and the moment he eats that food like a flash of understanding it comes that what he has been doing all this while is wrong because he has been ill treating the body and that does not take you anywhere so he comes to this idea that what is important is to follow the path of moderation follow the middle path but then he tries to tell this to his disciples the disciples who see that their master has kind of betrayed them because they've all followed him in this path of austerity and here is this great gautama who is now eating food and who is giving his body the pleasure of such food right and so they all disown him and they all walk away he's trying to explain to them see this is not a sign of my weakness but this is the sign of my understanding i've come to this enlightenment that the body should not be put through suffering but then he loses all of them they all don't uh, give value to his words the story goes that eventually he crosses that river after he gains enough strength he reaches that city of bodhgaya he sits under that tree and then he attains enlightenment and today is supposed to be the day he attained enlightenment it's also the day on which he was born it is also the day on which he eventually gives up his mortal coil so it's so beautiful that today we are talking about this shloka because this is what was the central message of buddha he said don't indulge the body spirituality is always about balance it is not about extremes don't pamper the body at the same time you are not going to attain the bliss of the soul by ill treating the body by putting the body through pain and in this shloka krishna reiterates that concept but having said that even the balance must have the right intention or the goal in mind say i am a military man i am a person who is extremely obsessed with my fitness i think even then it is likely that i might have a very balanced life i might have a balanced diet i might have a balanced routine i might uh, have a fixed time i sleep in because we come across a lot of these people who are very disciplined in their life right but the balance that we are speaking of here is that of a lifestyle of a sadhaka right that is something that we must not forget maybe that's why krishna uses the word yukta repeatedly in this particular shloka he says yukta ahara viharasya of one who is moderate in eating and habits yukta cheshtasya karmasu of one who is moderate in efforts and in his duties yukta svapna avabodhasya of one who is moderate in sleep and wakefulness so we can see krishna repeatedly uses the word yukta earlier in the gita also we have seen krishna using this word in fact in the next few verses also he is going to use the word the word is used to describe a sadhaka a sadhaka is referred to as a yukta which is actually a short form for yoga yukta one who is focused on attaining the goal the word yukta in sanskrit also means proper or appropriate so we can see that krishna purposely uses that word to suggest that the proper regulation of life must be with the spiritual goal in mind 
in such a person whom he had described as yukta ahara viharasya so on and so forth he says in such a person yogo bhavati dukkha yoga or meditation when he says yogo bhavati dukkha yoga could refer to dhyana yoga because the whole portion is about that he says yoga becomes the destroyer of dukkha or sorrow so krishna is saying if one leads a regulated balanced life then meditation can give this benefit of destroying one's sorrow which is the ultimate state right before we discuss a little more about this balance let me read out the passage from swami's gita vahini that i promised i will read out this is from chapter 11 where swami speaks of these moderate or moderation in behavior and also adds a few more points i think that's a, it's important for us to have these also in mind swami writes and i quote for those who eat too much and get exhausted with the task of assimilating it for those who eat less and suffer from exhaustion for those who sleep too much or too little for those who indulge in meditation according to convenience that is to say those who do it for long hours one day because they have no other work and do just token meditation the next day because they have lots of work for those who give free rein to the six inner enemies for those who do not confer joy on parents and especially the mother then all these for those who entertain doubt and have little faith in the lord or in the guru whom they have chosen and installed in their hearts for all these meditation will yield no fruit at all end of quote as we can see swami speaks of a few other critical points most importantly i thought respect to parents and regularity in meditation right swami is saying that if you do not have love and respect for parents especially the mother there's no point meditating at all you're not going to draw any benefit out of that that's a very important point that swami makes and we have to keep in mind the other point is regularity in meditation probably it is not wrong to meditate more if on some day that you happen to have more time but the idea is meditation is not like any other activity that we perform that can evenly spread over the days depending on our other schedules let's say one day i'm not able to do the dishes in the kitchen two days later i end up spending more time doing the dishes right or when we were in school they used to give us this holiday homework the idea was every day during the summer holidays or winter holidays you would spend about 1 hour doing the work so at the end of the summer vacation you'd have finished it what would we do even mean uh, without fail we would not touch the holiday homework till the last 3 or 4 days and last 3 or 4 days would be completely there are no holidays those 3 4 days we will only be sitting and doing the homework meditation is not to be looked at in that manner it is to be looked at as a discipline it has to go hand in hand with the idea of the schedule of the day every day that whatever is the assigned time it has to be given for that meditation then swami speaks about having faith every other day we cannot have doubt about the validity of our meditation or let's say that you've been gifted with a mantra by your guru every other day you cannot think that is it okay if i chant this mantra or should i take up some other mantra probably i should chant gayatri mantra 
or I've been chanting this mantra for so long, nothing seems to be happening. Again, that is also an attitude, which is like lifestyle attitude and clearly Swami says that you will not get any benefit out of meditation with that attitude. Then going back to the point that Swami makes about eating too much. Swami says, eating too much leaves one exhausted with the effort of assimilating it. I think that's a very beautiful way of putting it. Eating gives energy, but digestion also consumes energy. Right? The purpose of eating is so that the body gets energy, but this process of digestion is also an energy-consuming activity. So we eat so that we have enough energy to do those activities that the body is given for, the body is meant for. But when we cross this balance, this line of balance, much of the energy will be used in digesting the food that has been eaten and what that results in is in a lethargic attitude. And this can be said even about every other activity or aspect that Krishna mentions in the shloka. We can say that about sleep. Sleep is meant to keep the mind alert, right? Like I gave the example of the sportsman. It is supposed to keep the mind in its best alertness. But oversleeping doesn't serve that purpose at all because oversleeping makes you thamasic and again, it makes your mind dull. It does not keep it active. Krishna says there must be a balance even in efforts and duties. Yukta cheshtasya karmasu Doing one's duty, caring for one's family, doing one's professional work. All these also have to be in balance. And when will that happen? When will that balance actually come in our life? When I acknowledge the true purpose of this life, isn't it? As Krishna has been saying over and over again, the karma that one has to perform, and that karma is defined by the relationships in the family. What are you in the family? Are you a mother? Are you a father? Are you a son? Similarly, what is the role that you play in your professional setup? Are you a doctor? Are you a lawyer? Do you have a boss? Are you an accountant? All of these define the karma that one performs and one performs that karma so that the mind is purified in the process and the mind is purified so that it is prepared to receive jnana. That's the whole idea of karma yoga. Let us say I am a mother. Being a mother is not the purpose of this life. I would be wrong to think that the entire reason why I have been given this life is so that I can care for my children. Or say I am a musician or I am a sportsman. I cannot be so completely consumed by that one role in my life. A yukta, a sadhaka realizes that every other aspect of life merely only defines karma for me and gives direction. That's all. That role cannot define me. I think that is the important thing that needs to be kept in mind. I think most of us are mature enough to know that we don't live to eat. Right? We all eat to live and we live for a certain purpose. But sometimes we are not clear of this idea that we are on this long journey and this limited role doesn't define everything for us. When we talk about certain important roles that we play, like motherhood, parenthood, or a very important, any passion that kind of consumes us. I have a talent and I'm pursuing it day and night. As I was saying, even someone who is very particular about, say, fitness, will have a very balanced diet and will not uh, get into bad habits. But they don't become a yukta ahara vihara because they might be obsessed with exercise 
and spend way too much time taking care of the body. When the mind is preoccupied by such things, how can it focus on higher goals? Similarly, if one is so obsessed with one's profession, one is so obsessed with one's ambitions, say I am a businessman and I want to make a lot of money. Making a lot of money is not wrong. Wanting to make money can never become a wrong thing as long as you are doing it through the moral way. right? Artha and Kama is not wrong as long as it is always attached to Dharma or moral ways. So the money I earn is not bad, but I work so hard in trying to achieve this ambition that the mind is completely consumed by this attitude of mind and I cannot be a Yoga Yukta even though I am leading a dharmic life. So this balance that Krishna is speaking of comes from a certain clarity of vision, the correct prioritizations that come with this clarity of vision. Swami would often say this, the body is a treasure chest which contains this most precious treasure of the Atman. So the body also has to be cared for, but it has to be cared for because of this purpose that it contains this precious treasure and the body should not be deprived in such a manner that the mind is not able to focus on the goal. So whatever activity is taken up, whatever discipline is adhered to, whatever caring for the body is done, eating, sleeping, grooming, exercising, all of this is done with a focus on the goal. Even as I am saying this, you know, this may probably appear a little selfish. Right? Especially when I am telling this with reference to parents. Suppose I tell you, you have to take care of your children only with your goal in mind. Only because taking care of your children is going to give you moksha. That kind of takes away the love from the relationship. That kind of takes away the selflessness which is inherent in, in the way a mother takes care of the child. Right? That is why this is actually a little more subtler than just the vision. The idea of looking at a larger goal is so that balance is maintained in the family. Right? It's a little different than that. You know, When one is leading a balanced life, you will eventually end up doing everything perfectly. You will be a perfect mother, you will be a perfect worker in your professional life. Probably we'll come to that after we listen to the next shloka because this is a very important point. When I'm explaining it in a linear manner, when I say, because especially that statement that Krishna makes is something that can cause a little bit of confusion when he says yukta cheshtasya karmasu there should be a balance in your efforts and there should be a balance in the way you discharge your duty because in sometimes we think that there is no limit to duty right there is no limit to a mother's love mother is caring for the child mother gives herself similarly when we are given a role if I am a doctor in the present circumstances I mean, where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the boundary? You're supposed to give yourself to that duty, right? You consider yourself as a doctor, you consider yourself as a nurse or a medical professional and you're giving yourself to the task at hand. Where is the question of holding back thinking that if I do too much, I'm not going to get moksha, right? So that is not the idea. The only sense that we're supposed to take from this is there is a balance to everything. Everything that has been put in our life is put for a certain purpose and by doing too little of that, you can hurt that purpose. By doing too much of that, you can hurt that purpose. It's easier to understand that when it comes to eating and sleeping. It becomes a little more complicated to understand that when we're talking about 
duties when we're talking about ambitions and going after certain targets that we keep for ourselves. I'm not too sure if it is going to be completely cleared when we discuss the next verse, but we'll see how it works. But uh, be sure that eventually as we go through these verses, the clarity will come. We'll listen to the next verse, which is verse number 18. I'll give you a brief meaning of that and then we'll discuss that and we'll conclude with that. Yada viniyatam chittam Atman yeva vatishthate Nispruha sarvakame bhyo Yukta yityuchyate tada When the perfectly controlled mind rests in the self alone, free from longing for all the objects of desires, then it is said, he is united. That's the 18th verse of the 6th chapter. One thing we must remember when we speak of sadhana, or the ultimate goal of sadhana in fact is, we are not becoming something. We are not reaching some land or some heaven or something. We are not even transforming into something. Though sometimes for the ease of explanation we use these words, you know, reaching the ultimate or uh, one transforms. Actually, none of these words do justice to what happens. Because what we are trying to do in this path of spirituality is we are trying to see the truth. And when I say when we are trying to see the truth, the truth is right in front of us. Right? I am divine is the truth. God pervades this entire creation is the truth. So the goal of sadhana is not to become something, but the ability to see things as they are, see myself as I truly am, see people around as they truly are. right? And what is it that blocks us from seeing this truth? What is it that hampers this vision of truth? It is the mind. The mind is the representation of maya within, right? The mind is what makes see duality where there is one. So this whole process of sadhana is to sublimate the mind. And when we talk of meditation, meditation is nothing but, it's a means by which we contemplate on this truth, this truth which is not visible to us as of now. That's why we kept using that uh, definition or that phrase. It is paroksha jnana. It is paroksha, which means I am not in a state where I am able to see that truth myself, but someone else has had the vision of the truth and I am contemplating on someone else's vision. Paroksha means somebody else's vision of the truth. So when we talk of meditation, it is me contemplating on this truth which I have myself not seen so far. So when we are able to lead a moderate life, a disciplined life, slowly the mind becomes still and it begins to be focused on that truth. And eventually the truth can be seen. So I am contemplating on the truth that I am not able to see. But in the process of this contemplation, in the process of this one-pointed focus on this contemplation, what happens is the mind begins to wither away. And when the mind withers away, you actually see the truth. Right? That is the whole process of meditation as we are discussing. So when we talk of meditation, it's a means by which we contemplate on the truth and eventually the mind withers away and the truth can be seen. So if one feels 
am i not being selfish when i say that i am more bothered about me reaching the goal not about my responsibilities i think the answer is the more clear the vision becomes the more good and the more effective one will become at whatever is the task at hand right i am solving somebody's problem let us say uh, i am a teacher or i am a mother or a father and and a child comes to me with a problem the more clear i am able to see the better useful i will be to that particular situation isn't it if i am myself confused if the child comes and asks me a question there is no way i am going to be able to help that situation that child is in so the more clear the vision becomes the more perfect we will be at whatever task is being performed and as long as there are other goals in mind this goal that we are talking about of being able to be focused on the truth will become more distant and that's why krishna says here he says yada viniyatam chittam viniyatam means restrained or controlled so yada viniyatam chittam when the mind is perfectly controlled atmani eva avatishtate and rest focused on the self alone and when will the mind be able to remain focused in this manner on the self nispruhah when it is free from longing for sarva kame bhya from all objects of desires yukta ityuchate tada then he is said to be a yukta or a person who is united with the object of meditation so this is in fact the culmination of dhyana the mind is ever focused on the atma there are no other desires to deter it we in the process of meditation what we are trying to do is we are trying to stimulate the state at least for those few minutes when we sit down and meditate and to augment this state those few minutes in a day when we are sitting and meditating to have the best experience or to have the best effect of those few minutes krishna says you follow a lifestyle of balance right so this focus of a few minutes helps us lead a life of balance too right the more i am able to contemplate on god contemplate on who i am contemplate on all these truths that swami says we will find that it becomes easier to lead a lifestyle of balance right that's what i had said that how will you eat properly how will you sleep properly how will you do the appropriate duties when your vision is clear so to have that clear vision is the reason why we are doing this meditation and this meditation is more effective when there is a balance in life so as you can see here this few minutes that we spend in meditation helps us lead a balanced life and that balanced life helps us do better in this meditation so in that way both of these are important and eventually one becomes a yukta for whom the concept of meditation itself vanishes because this experience that i am trying to simulate in these few minutes i am sitting and meditating eventually becomes the experience of my entire waking state right so when it becomes the experience of the entire day where is the question of labeling this as meditation let us say there is no concept of sleeping for me then why will i define something as wakefulness of course there is nothing as sleep but there is no reason to define something as wakefulness because there is sleeping something becomes wakefulness similarly because something is not a state of dhyana it becomes necessary to define dhyana so if i am ever in the state of being a yukta ever mind being in that focus on the atma the concept of dhyana vanishes 
and as i'm always focused on the dhyeya atmani eva avatishtate the mind is always focused is always placed on that atma meditation as a concept as i just explained vanishes when my mind is always in dhyana there is no dhyana and this state is a state where the mind is completely stilled and eventually sublimated then there is no dhyata the meditator and there is no dhyeya the object of meditation right so it is very difficult to explain when krishna says that you should not overdo your duty how do you not overdo your duty but how do you know how much you have done is enough right and that is why it is very important to again go back to these truths when we say that i am playing the role of a parent i am playing the role of a sibling it is very important to understand the larger picture that i am a trustee this person is not belonging to me this is a truth that i am not able to feel right now but i am trying to contemplate on that truth right so this person does not really belong to me i am not attached to this person but this person is entrusted in me so i am supposed to help this person as much as i can but i am not supposed to be attached to that person so the definition of the role helps in better dispensing of the duty also right and that is done better when there's clarity of mind and for that clarity of mind you do dhyana so you find that there is a beautiful way in which there is a symbiotic relationship between those few minutes that you spend in dhyana or meditation and this lifestyle that's why swami would often say this you know ahara vihara is very very important the way you eat food the quantity of food that you eat the quality of food that you eat and the way you lead your life is so very important in the spiritual sense so there is no point if i say one hour a week i go for bhajans or once in a while or once a day i am sitting and doing my meditation after i finish my bath i come and chant my mantras i do my meditation and then the rest of the day is filled with indiscipline it will not help at all that's why many of us ask this question oh i have been doing this for so many years it doesn't seem to be helping me the reason is what is required is a complete dedication to that particular thing that's why i mean any ambition that is pursued properly be it that of a sportsman be it that of a a singer you kind of align your entire life to do well in that particular ambition that you've set for yourself and that is why the whole idea is you must become a sadhaka you must understand that this life that we are leading is so that the goal is reached so that one day as swami says we are all born to understand that we should not be born again and then everything else falls in place the roles then disciplines the duties that i have to dispense are because it in a way defines my karmas i perform my karma so that the mind gets purified and for the mind to get purified the karma has to be performed in a certain manner with a certain discipline and the whole portion that we are going through in the gita is where meditation as a process meditation as a tool is useful in this whole thing right so those are the three verses that i thought we can cover this time i most humbly offer this effort at swami's lotus feet will continue there are a few more verses where krishna speaks about meditation the dhyana yoga part is not yet over we'll continue with that next week do join me again dear listeners for the resumption of the gita series the triune pilgrimage next week till i meet you all next week take care stay safe jai sai ram